Thank you, everybody. Um, firstly, let me just say this. One of the sad things for us over the, the years that we've been here um, is due to the nature of the overseas work and what we knew God was calling us to, to do. We've been involved in that for years. We'll say a little bit more about that later. Um, that as much as we wanted to really, really dig in um, and increase the number of friendships and relationships here, build community here, because those of you that know Heather and I know that er everything that matters is the church. Um, and uh, the, so there's been pain for us in terms of in the traveling, which has been a huge privilege. It's meant there's some people in this room who we're just not connected with as much as we'd have loved to. And we want you to know that. There's been some stronger connections with, with people, friendships that of course we've been able to make and valued and have helped us and contributed to our spiritual walk. Um, but we, we want the whole site to know um, that some of the pain has honestly been. Heather's commented on it. We've sat on planes saying it's an honor to do what we do. We've got friends all around the world. That's a huge honor. Um, but we've missed, uh, even now, just looking around the room, I'm going to get emotional, um, looking at numbers of you and thinking, oh, if only we'd have had more time. Um, so we want you to hear that um, and because we love Church Central. We love what this site is. We love what God's going to do going forward. Um, and we love the friendships that we've had. But there's a sense of, if only... It's not too painful because we know we've done what God wanted us to do. And the whole point of coming here in the first place was with the vision of the elders and the team was to help catch the church up more in what we were doing in the Middle East. Um, but the team saying, you know, we'd like this to be a base for you, which it has been. And we'll say a little bit later, when the children are back in, Owen's just asked if um, we can tell a little bit of the story uh, about Cairo. We'll do that um, and then share some prayer requests. So we'll do that a bit later. What I want us to do is look at God's Word. This teach does fit in terms of us going. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm being very indulgent and getting to do one of my favorite stories. Um, but doing something which I think God will speak to us through. Some of this, um, I think it was about three years ago, um, I was doing a, an Easter Sunday. Um, and so some of the comments I'm making, um, some of you would have heard. Um, but it is a slightly different preach. But I don't mind doing it again because I always forget stuff I've heard, um, and this is beautiful. So let's start with this. We'll put you on the spot now. So why is the resurrection so important? Not a trick question. Why is the resurrection so important? It's essential to our faith. Without Jesus coming alive, he's just another good bloke. It's the bridge back between us and, and God. So without the death and resurrection... We don't have that relationship. These are the answers I want. Keep going. It's not, it's not a trick question. Some of you looking nervous, thinking, where's this going? It's not. It brings hope, exactly. Because if Jesus was raised, where are we going? Oh, come on, guys. Don't go quiet on me. Release the Holy Spirit on earth. When Jesus ascended, he was able to send the Spirit. He, he took our sin on the cross and then was raised again, showing that he's dealt with it. Because if sin was holding him, he'd have stayed in the grave. Revealed he was the Son of God. That's how we know it's who he is. That's what the resurrection does. So it would have been powerful enough that Jesus had died, but in his resurrection is his vindication. Is God saying that he really is my son. He really is the lamb. He really is the pure one because now he's alive again. Death can't hold him. Anyone else that had gone in there, death would have kept them. But it couldn't keep Jesus because he's God's son.
turned broken people into founders of the church. They all fled when Jesus was on the cross. Resurrection, and they see him, which is part of the story we're going to read. Um, it brings that hope for them. And then I want to come back to hope because it's so important what you said. You know, our own hope. And it therefore, as we're going to see, it's that hope which changes us. This is good. All I wanted, and we could keep going, but um, keep an eye on the time. What I wanted us to grasp together, rather than me tell you, is the resurrection is the most important thing in the story. The whole story hangs to it. The prophets talked about it. Even in the garden, you get a hint of what God's going to do when he talks about crushing the snake's head. So it's the center. We know that. And that's why I said to you it's not a trick question. The resurrection is the biggest thing that's happened. It changes history. It's not just personal for you. Here's a long word. If I've got to compete with Don Carson, um, I'd settle for Gandalf. But if I've got to compete with Don Carson, it's a cosmological event. It changes the whole cosmos. It's not just personal. Everything changed. All the creation changes. Paul says, refers to that in Romans 8 and in other passages. Jesus coming alive again. All the creation is going to be renewed one day. Everything rests on the resurrection. It is the most important story. That first, what we now call Easter, that first time that that happened, um, it's got to be the most important day. You okay with this so far? And the reason why I'm dwelling on this is because that's the most important day, then what Jesus did on that day needs some, needs some attention. So let's read what Jesus did. We're going to go to the end of Luke. There's no PowerPoint, I'm afraid. You've got a few pictures of Cairo later. I managed to get that done. <coughs> but um, we, some, depending on how the projector is, we can't always see the words. So I thought we'll just read it together and take time to go through it and do it that way. But there's no... Um, we're just going to use the story. So I didn't do the PowerPoint. Luke 24. Um, some of the things that have happened already is that the ladies have been to the tomb um, and the body's not there. Um, in another account, we read that they met Jesus, thought he was the gardener, then realized he wasn't. They go back to the disciples. A couple of the disciples leg it to the tomb, um, and they realize it's empty, but they're confused. They can't work it out. They don't get to see Jesus at that point. Um, so there's confusion because some are saying we've seen him. Some are saying the body's not there, and they're trying to work out what's going on. So that's what's happened so far. <coughs> and then in verse 13, we're going to do the famous story, of the road to Emmaus. So Emmaus is a village outside Jerusalem. Um, and we're reading about two of Jesus' followers. Um, they're not in the 12, as far as we know, but they're clearly part of the main group. So verse 13. That same day, this is the day Jesus has raised, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we have permission to laugh because this story is meant to be a little bit funny. Um, it's not meant to be, it is. So they're leaving Jerusalem. They're talking about what's happening. They don't know where Jesus is. And Jesus suddenly appears and starts walking with them. And they don't, get, they don't see him. Little bit of a smile. Because if we read on, we'll see what's going on in their hearts. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. Because they're sad. They don't know what's happened. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. They're beginning to think he is the one from God. He's talking about the kingdom coming. All his stories, parables, miracles. And the kingdom coming means fulfillment of prophecy and God coming with justice. 
but they haven't seen justice because Rome ended up winning by putting Jesus, who was meant to be the Messiah, on the cross. And they're leaving the city. They're going away. They're not staying in the center. They're leaving what's gone on because of um, being sad, because of being confused. And Jesus joins them. He says, what are you talking about? Listen to this. One of them, then Cleopas said, are you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened today? He's the only one who knows what's happened today. Above anybody else in the story, above anybody else up until this point, Jesus is the only one who knows what happened. He's the only one who knows that he breathed his last and what that felt like as all of sin and punishment and wickedness and evil and injustice and oppression fell on him and he was put in the tomb. The Lord of life breathing his last and then for God to raise him and suddenly he come alive again and breath in his lungs and being alive, as we're going to see, different but the same. He's the only one who knows what this is about. He walked that story for years, growing up, studying the prophets, reading, beginning to understand. Hey, they're talking about me. We've got no idea what that looked like for him. Don't think he knew he was the Messiah at six months old because he was fully human, so he had to learn but he was fully God. So there's mystery there. Was the Spirit really close to him, revealing things to, speaking to him as he read the prophet Isaiah and saying, this is you. I don't know what it was like. We don't need to speculate. Fully human, fully God. I say all of that to say he's the only one who knows. And he sidles up. They kept from seeing him. What are you guys talking about? What's going on? Are you the only one? Haven't you got a clue? Good to talk about embarrassment. It's Jesus. He is the only one. <coughs> what, sorry, what thinks is Jesus? Come and laugh, guys. God has a sense of humor. Steve commented on my silliness. Stories like this that lets me know it's okay. Jesus isn't being profoundly serious right now. He could just say, guys, don't jump. It's me. What are you doing here? Well, let me tell you. That's going to come. But meanwhile, it's not coming. What is he doing? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was, that is all the language, a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. What a conversation. They're walking along the road. It's getting late. The guys are leaving. They're despondent. We had hoped. They're disappointed. They're confused. Maybe they'd been around Jesus for quite some time. Who knows? Jesus had said to the twelve, leave everything and come with me. These guys were putting a huge amount of hope. Jesus is the one. All that the prophets had said. We think he's the one. All the things Jesus taught us, the power, the authority, the anointing, our hopes for our nation, our hopes that Rome, oppression, injustice will be overthrown and the promises of righteousness on earth coming. And then we see him on a cross. 
Because we know the end of the story, we miss the pain. Because we know that this is the resurrection, we know what's going on, we miss how distraught they are. We miss the confusion. They've given their life. Some of you have had to work through or may even still have pain in your heart because you gave your life to someone who betrayed you or you had hoped in a person or a situation. That comes close to what they're feeling. Now we had hoped. This is about faith. This is about relationship with God. This is about thinking, hang on, God's doing it. We've waited for years. This is a corporate identity. It's not just a personal thing. As a nation and as the, the Middle East works, you feel these things as a group. That's your identity. So it's not just a personal feeling sad because Jesus hasn't shown up. This is everything that they've lived for, hoped for, their families, their, their parents, and then their, their parents, and going back generations. Everything rested on this. And now walking along the road, Jesus hides himself. He says, what's going on? And then he begins to teach them all the way through. He says, see this story? That was pointing to this. Moses, when he taught this, that was pointing to this. These things that happened through the prophets, the passages that Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born. It's pointing to this, it's pointing to this, and they still don't see him. As they approached the village to which they were going, verse 28, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. <laughs> what's he doing? You don't know who I am. I'm going to ask you what's going on. I know what's going on, and I know why you're sad, and I know where you're from and where you're going. I'm just going to pretend I'm going, oh, Jesus is telling a lie. Ooh, that doesn't say that. But he's having a game. He's doing something. He's walking with them, but hidden. <laughs> you know, even in your darkest times, it's easy to forget Jesus is walking with you. And we just don't see him. That's what he died on the cross for, to be with us. Not just to improve us, not just to save us, but to be with us. This is everything, as we're going to go on and see in a minute. This is everything that Jesus wanted. So he could be with us, didn't have to be separate. And just, I just felt a prompt from the Spirit to underline that for some of you. That even on your darkest days, even when you can't see him, even when it feels like you're being kept from seeing him, Jesus is with you. And one of the things we need to keep doing and strengthen and encourage each other to do is when it's difficult and when it's hard and when people let us down, and especially when church lets us down, because that happens. Some of you have heard me say before, I've had the privilege of being in ministry for years and years and years because I'm an old man. It's been the greatest of joys, but it's been the greatest of pain. Because we get it wrong. We hurt one another, and it hurts more when it's a brother and a sister. And that's part of what they're feeling. But we left everything to be with Jesus. And we need to learn not to run away, but to come to him. Especially when there's pain in a room like this or another Christian brother or sister. And too often people leave because they think that will be better. I'll take my faith somewhere else and people will receive me. And there's only one person that's going to receive you in the way that you need receiving, and it's Jesus. And one of the difficulties we can have in community life together with all our hope and vision to build community, to make a difference where we are, is that when it doesn't work, we kind of think, oh, it will work somewhere else. No, it won't. The only one who makes it work is Jesus. And he's already with you, walking with you. And that's part of what they needed to understand. It's part of why the story's here for us. Is in the darkest of days. Don't run. Because it's Jesus, and he's with you, and he's alongside you. So, where are we up to? Oh yeah, they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, 
It's nearly evening, the day's over. So he went in to stay with them, which I kind of think is what he was going to do anyway. Because Middle East, you're not going anywhere, you're coming into the house. It's kind of a conversation, it's like a little dance, but you're not going anywhere. You're in the house and they're going to feed you and give you a bed because that's how it works. And of course you kind of say, no, no, I'm fine because it's not great to admit you're in need. This is right, isn't it? This is how it works. Pardon? Of course it is. No, it's fine. I don't have a need. Exactly. I know. Yeah, you see? Force you to eat. This, this isn't lack of discipline. This is hospitality. So, so although Jesus is doing, it's, it's cultural, it's what happens. It's a little dance. Kind of, no, I'll, I'll go on. Go on where? Oh, Airbnb. I'll just get something. Don't go anywhere. So he goes in. When he was at the table with them, this is interesting, he took the bread and gave thanks. He's not the host, although he is. He's the guest. <coughs> well, actually, we're the guests. And the story flips at this point. He's walking along. They can't see him, don't recognize him. He asks some questions. He draws it out. He knows what's going on. He's playing the kind of, oh, I don't understand what's happening. You look sad. Why are you sad? And he begins to teach them. But at the table, it's beautiful. It's always at the table. Food, eating together, joins hearts. That's why to convey, to sum up, to communicate all the truth of what the death and resurrection is about, he gave us a meal. He didn't give us a theological statement or a textbook or a handbook. He gave us food. Break the bread, drink the cup. This is my body, this is my blood. It's powerful because food is what gives you life. That's why, the, that's why food is so important in the Bible. That's why it's so important in Egypt and in Turkey and the Middle East because food gives life. We're used to it. We've got an abundance of choice. We've got an abundance. What's the big deal? I'll choose this. I'll choose that from the supermarket. If I don't like that, I'll go and just eat. No, food is life. When you don't have much food, you realize how important it is. That's why Jesus uses the table to reveal himself. That's why Jesus gave us a meal. He took bread. I don't know if they were in that room a few nights before when he took bread. I don't know if they're at the feeding of the 5,000 when he took bread and broke it. They probably were. If they weren't, they'd have heard about it. They'd have known about it. They'd have heard of the times that Jesus took bread. They'd have heard at the times of when Jesus was the host at the wedding to Cana, turning water into wine. Because Jesus has come to feed us. He's come to give us life. That's what this is about. So at the table, he breaks the bread. He becomes the host. He starts to drive the story. He's been driving it all along, but now he's coming to the fore. Broke it and began, began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. Amazing. Break it. It's him. It's Jesus. He's alive. Ever all the confusion from this morning. What does this mean? How can he be alive? No one just comes to life like, what's going And read the next line. If you're not convinced by now this is meant to be humorous, then he disappeared. <coughs> you're hiding, you're asking what's going on, you're pretending you don't know, you teach them, you give them bread, they see you, and it's like, it's Jesus! What? Where is he? We'll talk about why in a minute, but it's funny and powerful. Listen to this line. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning when he talked with us? and opened up the scriptures. Wasn't there fire in us? 
They began their journey, hopelessness, darkness, fleeing, disappointment, leaving. Going away from what had been the center, going away from where Jesus was, going away from where all the hopes had been. They're leaving. And now they're saying, hang on, as he talked to us, fire came. Instead of hopelessness, there was fire. Instead of disappointment and darkness, there was light and burning. Weren't our hearts on fire as he opened the scriptures? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. That's a long way. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together. They said, it's true. The Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. This is the eleven now. So at this point, somehow, I don't know whether Jesus appeared to Simon before he went on the road or whether when he disappeared, he went back to Simon. Who knows? But somehow, Jesus had got to Simon and appeared to him. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. We'll finish there. Then as they're telling him, just summary, Jesus appears in the lock room. So he disappears from one room, they get back, he waits for them to tell them, then suddenly he just walks through the wall and says, peace. And explains to them everything why this had happened, and says to them, now you need to go out into all the world and tell everyone about this. That was the end of the story. So, what are some of the things that we can learn from this? Remember what we said at the beginning, this is the most important day in history. Everything rests on this. Where do you find Jesus? Walking, a, oh, this is beautiful. Walking along a road with two people who are broken and hurting, have got doubts, and are wondering what it's all about. See, if we were running Jesus' camp- resurrection campaign, we wouldn't be saying, you're going to do what? You're going to go for a walk with two people? You're not going to tell them who you are? until you get to have a meal. Like, Jesus, we need to do something big. I wouldn't be going with two people along a road, two depressed, hopeless, sad people. There are some bigger people to go. I wouldn't go for that walk. I'd do something else. I'd do something like, hi, pilot. Remember me? I know, a bit of a shock, isn't it? Last time you saw me, I was being dragged off and put on the cross. Well, I just thought I'd come back and let you know. Actually, why settle for Pilate? Um, there's Herod as well. That would have been a shock. Knock on the palace. Herod, you're meant to be the king. Guess what? <laughs> Come on. In fact, why settle there? Let's just go straight to Rome. If this is the most important day, if history is being rewritten, if God is showing what the story is really, really about, and if God is overcoming oppression and evil and injustice and wickedness, well, let's go to Rome. Because in Rome, on the throne, is Caesar, who's being oppressive and a wicked ruler, and he wants everyone to worship him. It's said on the coins that, Jesus, uh, that Caesar is someone to be worshipped. So it would be brilliant if Jesus just turned up there and said, Hi, Caesar, I don't know if it's reached you yet or not, but I'm the prophet from... Yeah, it's me. The pilot took... Yeah, it's me. Yes, you're right. They, they did kill me. No, your soldiers did it. Your soldiers are fine. Please don't be cross with your soldiers. You've trained them how to kill people, and I was dead. Yeah, I know. That's God. I'm alive now. That was the point. I was trying to tell you, you had prophets for years. You didn't listen to them. Now get off your throne, and because I'm going to be king. Wouldn't that have changed? Wouldn't that be the way we want to change the world? Wouldn't that be some of what we still pray for and all the political turmoil that's going on and everything else? But that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus has come for. That's not the kind of king that he is. The rich and the powerful had had their chance. You read all about them in Luke. This is the way stories work. The main characters before this, as well as being Jesus, but are the political powers. And now they don't appear in this chapter. 
They've had their chance. They'll get another chance later when the disciples are filled with the Spirit, filling Jerusalem with the teaching, and they get arrested, and a bloke gets Paul, called Paul, comes to know Jesus, and he gets to see Herod. Yeah, Rome will still get a chance. But right now, Jesus' priority on the day that he's risen, on the day that changes the world, is not to go for the rich and the powerful and the influencers. It's to go for the broken and the poor and the disillusioned and the confused and those who began to put their hope in him but have now lost hope. That's the kind of king that he is. That's the kind of kingdom he's come to bring. That's why Luke is telling this story. On the most important day, when death has been defeated and the Savior is coming alive, you'll find him with two people. And people have got questions and doubts and confusion. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And that's why Church Central is here. Because we're meant to live like the king. And his kingdom isn't primarily for those who are powerful and rich and think they've got it together. They can come, but not with their riches and their power. They need to come leaving those behind and saying, no, you're the king and we're not. That's the kingdom. That's where you find Jesus. Because at the heart of his message has always been love. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. And what does love look like? It looks like Jesus saying, I've got the whole world to tell that I'm alive, but I'll just go for a walk with two people. I'll just spend time with them. I'll let them know. This is the king we worship and follow. This is the kind of kingdom that he had come to bring. The other thing we can see here is he wants them to understand the greatness of his victory. One of the reasons why they're filled with disappointment and despair is they thought Rome was the enemy and they thought the Messiah would rescue them from Rome. What, they don't, what they've forgotten is death is the enemy, not Rome. Yeah, Rome's acting with injustice and an oppressive power, but that's not the main enemy. The enemy is the evil and wickedness behind that. That's what Jesus came to defeat. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He wasn't going to overthrow political powers and everything else. They'll always be wicked. He's come to establish a different kingdom, a kingdom where death doesn't reign, where fear doesn't reign, a kingdom which is full of love and mercy and grace. So he really is the Messiah, just not in the way they expected. And that's why he took the time to take them through the scriptures, to say, look, when this talks about that, it really does mean what's just happened. That's what they needed to understand. That's why he taught them. Yeah, you've got hopes that your nation will get your land back and you won't be oppressed and paying high taxes and those promised prophets, uh, prophecies will be fulfilled, but they are being fulfilled. You thought it was going to have an outcome right now on this earth, but it's having an outcome in the heavenlies because when Jesus was going to ascend, he'd ascend over all the powers. So it was about a powerful kingdom, but a different kind of power. It was about a kingdom that can't be shaken, but not through armies and power and strength, but through a king who sacrificed his life and <coughs> gave it up so that we could live. He wanted them to understand he really, really has one. Not like King David with an army to rescue people from the power of Rome, but he came to rescue us from the enemy of sin and death. Jesus has defeated the power of death. One of the things that, well, why did he disappear? Why did he suddenly go? Because he wants them to understand he really is alive. He broke the bread. He talked with them. But the sudden disappearing... Yeah, it's a bit of fun. (laughs) But it was in order to say, I'm alive, but it's a different kind of life. I'm raised, but not like Lazarus, who's someone else that Jesus raised, but then died. 
This is an eternal life. I've got a body, you can touch it, and I'll eat, but this is a body that isn't restricted by physical matter anymore. This is a body which isn't restricted by this creation anymore and the law of physics. This is a body which means I can just disappear. Bye-bye. It wasn't just a stunt. It wasn't just he needed to get to Peter. He's conveying a theological truth that this is a new life which is available now, that death really has been defeated. It's not a miracle that gets him out the grave for a few weeks and then God will take him. No, this is eternal life. This is the new creation. That's why he suddenly disappears. That's why he suddenly appears in the other room to say, hey, it's different now. I'm still me. I've I've died. I've been in the grave and now life has come, but it's not just the breath that you have. This is eternal life now. They wanted them to understand and realize that death has been redeemed. This is beautiful. This is the power of the resurrection. Death isn't the enemy anymore. Too often in the church, we still live like it is. We kind of know it's okay on the other side. We kind of know it's not the end, but we still fear death and sickness and disease and everything else, and we get confused. Don't we pray for the sick? Aren't we meant to see them healed and, not, and be afraid of death? Yeah, of course we pray for the sick. Of course Jesus defeating the powers of evil means we can lay hand on the sick and see them healed. When they're not healed, and there's mystery in that sometimes, death is what brings you into God's presence. Death is what transforms. Death is what brings you into what you were made for which was to be with him forever and ever and ever. See, in the garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sin, God said to them, you eat that tree, death will come. And they have to leave God's presence. When Jesus is dying on the cross, the curtain of the temple, the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence is meant to be, is torn. It's symbolic of the fact we can now come into God's presence. Like some over here said that, that it brings us back into that relationship with God. And the fullness of that is death, because then we're alive again because then we're with him forever. And does that make some sense? Jesus redeems death, what the enemy has been all the way through the Bible. It's what the Old Testament is teaching us. God raises up kings and prophets, and many of them live good lives. Many of them fail right at the end, because sin and wickedness still comes for them. They all die. It's in this story, on this day, that you get to see that death, which dominated history, is finished. It doesn't have power. It will come for each one of us but it's for a moment. So one of the things that I want to provoke you on and why I wanted to teach this today is why there's still so much fear in our churches. Why does fear still dominate and cripple us? Fear's not wrong. It's okay to be scared. It's a natural reaction. It's a good reaction. Otherwise we'd all get run over or set fire to ourselves. It's fine. Fear is natural. It's the body's way of saying something's wrong. But it's not meant to cripple us. It's not meant to hold us back. It's not meant to keep us distant from people because we're scared about what they think. Honestly, why does it matter what people think? Jesus is alive. You're going to be with him forever and ever. I, I know what it matters. I, well, I know why it matters. I struggle with that just as everybody else does. Well, because I'm at the front and got a microphone doesn't mean I don't struggle with insecurity and what people think part of our worldview. It's in our culture now. It's ingrained on our computer screens with likes and social media and everything else. We're all gripped by it. We just don't like talking about it. My answer is this story. He's alive. He's alive. Death is finished. Fear, weakness, what people think of us, making mistakes, failure, getting it wrong, mucking it up when we were trying to be good. 
It doesn't matter because he's alive. I'm going to be with him forever and ever and ever. So stop thinking about myself and what people think and think about him and live because he died in order for life to come. He died instead of fear, disappointment, hopelessness, worry and anxiety being in my heart. Fire can be in my heart. That's what he wanted them to know. That's the point. But wasn't there fire coming on us? Didn't we feel burning? Moments earlier, they're hopeless. They're wondering what life is about. They're wondering what they're going to do. They're wondering where they're going to go. They're wondering how long Rome will be in power for. We thought this was the end. And all of the uncertainty that we can identify with now, more and more, with what's happening in our political situation, what's happening around the world. And then fire came. And hope came. And life came. That's the point of the resurrection. He wanted them to know that, so he taught them. Next, final one, which doesn't mean I'm finishing, but it's the final one. You find him with two people. See, the resurrection's meant to be personal. You're meant to feel it. It's not just a theological statement. It's not just a creed. It's not just something we put in our songs. Jesus walked with them because he wanted them to experience it, touch it, see it, smell it, feel it. You see, if we were running his campaign, we'd have said, hang on, Jesus, sorry, you want to go to two people in a village? No, we can get a stadium, Jesus. Just give us a few hours. We'll, we'll get the Colosseum. We'll do something huge. This needs to go around the world. You've taught us this. This changes the world. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. If this is going to change the world, then why are you with two when you can have thousands? And that's still our question now. That's still what we think. When a celebrity becomes a believer, when a political person with influence makes a statement of faith, it's brilliant, we should pray for that, we need to see more of that, because that's who Jesus came for, but not because they're going to be influencers. That's our job. Because a resurrection is personal. Jesus wanted these two people, and then the rest of the crew, we stopped reading at that point, to feel, to touch, to see. This resurrection is real. It's not just theology. It's not just an aspiration. It's not just a concept. That's why he walked with them. That's why he sat with them. That's why he broke bread. So they could see. And they ran back and became the first witnesses to tell people. And Jesus is about to say to the the 11, you go into all the world. It's like a picture of what he wanted them to do. That they run all the way back. Say, he is alive. And Jesus appears and says, I want you to do what they've done. He doesn't say these words. You're going to do this now all over the world. That's why we get on a plane next week. There's nothing else to live for. You don't have to get on a plane to do it. That's just how God's telling us to work it out. But that's why you're in the office, in the school, in the classroom, in the road, in the street where you are. There's nothing else to talk about but the resurrection. It's real. It's the victory. It brings us hope. And yeah, people will mock and scorn. Say, oh, you don't believe that stuff, do you? Science has disproved and all of that. Yeah, okay, let them have that. Sometimes we get disappointed and think, well, you know, we, I don't know how to win that battle. I don't know how to fight that battle. I'll get a book out and, and read answers. That can help. Please, I'm not disparaging that. If, if you can handle information that way and debating that way, do it. It's important. We need people who can wrestle intellectually because the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes... Uh, intellectual and coherent sense of the world. But actually it's the resurrection hope and fire in you that's the witness, not just intellectual reasoning. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus did this. He knew he could fill a stadium. 
and people could see him at a distance and go, oh, he's alive then. Jesus wanted a personal encounter, not a crowd encounter. Jesus wanted to walk with us. And that's why you're here, if you believe in Jesus. Because there came a point when you knew he was alive. There came a point when you realized this wasn't just another religion, another faith, another set of laws, another way to improve your life. This became personal, and fire came into your heart by the Holy Spirit, because you knew he's alive. He's done something, God has done something in him that no other story has. And reading it, understanding it, and, and having it as a religious framework and a doctrine matters. But that's not what we stand on. We stand on the fact that your, his life, that power is now working in you. Paul says it in Ephesians, that the same power that raised Jesus to life is the power that's working in you. That's why Jesus didn't go to the Colosseum. Because he knew that if he could get that into a handful, then the world would know. The big events and big conferences, they're not wrong. Jesus uses, of course he uses those. Huge numbers of fruit from those kind of things. But only if it produces people who then have hope that he's alive and can talk to someone else who talks to someone else and talks to someone else. There's no other story. That's why Jesus has come to you. (coughs) That's why (coughs) the work of the Spirit in our hearts is so important and so powerful. I need to finish. I think this is the best story because it's personal, it's funny, it shows what kind of king we follow. When you have doubts, anxieties, disappointment, well, remember this story. Jesus is with you. You might not see him. Don't run away. Sit down and have some bread with him. Talk with him because he's there. Understand that your faith isn't just intellectual. It's not just a belief statement. It's an encounter with the risen Jesus and that that's our message That's what we need to take and talk to other people about. And there'll be plenty who won't listen. Herod didn't. Pilate didn't. Rome didn't. But Jesus wasn't bothered. He said, I'll find those who do listen. Oh, look, there's two on that road. I'll go and find them. I don't need to go and talk to Pilate. He'd put me on the cross. I don't need to go and see Herod. He's had his chance. I'll go for the broken. I'll go for the weak. I'll go for the confused. Because that's the kind of king he is. He said, I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. And this, the church, final point, the church is the community of the resurrection. That's why we're here. There's no other reason. We're not a religious club. We're not a sing-song group or anything else. Although the singing and the knowing God together is beautiful. It's not what this is. This is here because Jesus is alive. You're sitting in this room because Jesus is alive. We're witnesses to the resurrection. That's the point of this story. That's why it appears to the rest. He says, you are witnesses of these things. Go and tell everybody. Let's pray.